for the bridge loan. You've got the pro of the generally interest only and the ability to include those renovation costs in the loan. And as Joe mentioned, not having to pay interest on that until you use it. As a loyal Best Ever listener, you know that it's important that we as entrepreneurs focus on managing our time effectively, which is why we're always looking for ways to automate the basic duties of our business so that we can focus more time on our money-making activities. That's why I want to introduce you to Rentler.com. At Rentler, landlords and property managers can perform all their duties in one place. Rentler offers tools that allow you to automate tasks like listing a unit for rent, finding and screening tenants, collecting rent, and managing the maintenance requests. And even better, these tools are offered at zero cost to you. Go to tryrentler.com forward slash best ever. That's T-R-Y-R-E-N-T-L-E-R.com forward slash best ever to get started today. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. And we're doing follow along Friday. Got Theo Hicks. How you doing, Theo? Doing great, Joe. How you doing? I'm doing great. And I have a bowl of oatmeal next to me because we did this a little <laughs> bit earlier than we usually do because you've got some things going on on your side. So I am going to be talking and when I'm eating, I will not be talking. The episode we're doing today is a continuation from last week. And last week we discussed, you've got an apartment community that you've identified, you have a contract. Now here's the next step, you do due diligence. And we talked about all the different due diligence documents. You took the lead on that and you talked through different things to consider and what to look for. And now this week, we're going to talk about debt financing, the differences between different types of loans, and then different variables within each of the types of loans. And I really wish that this episode aired, oh, about four years ago, five years ago, when I knew not a whole lot about apartment syndication. And I'm really glad and grateful that we're able to have this conversation so that best ever listeners can learn more about different types of loans because I had no clue about this stuff. I had no clue the advantages of a bridge loan versus Fannie Mae Freddie Mac loan or vice versa, advantages of Fannie Mae Freddie Mac versus bridge loan. I had no idea the importance of interest only. I had no idea about loan terms and buying caps on loans, etc. And thankfully, we're going to address all that for everyone. And this will be incredibly valuable for you uh, if you're looking to do investing and you want to get a refresher or perhaps pick up some additional tips on debt financing. So that being said, how do you want to approach our call? So I guess the key when you're deciding on what type of financing to put on a property is a balance between the risk and the returns. Because as Joe mentioned, there's bridge loans, there's permanent loans, there's interest only, there's different interest rates different terms of the loans. And for each of those, essentially you're going to be paying a different amount in debt service. Obviously debt service is an expense and the higher the debt service is, the lower the cash flow is. So that's the return perspective. But on the risk side, not all loans are the same risk. And what'll be the main topic of discussion when I'm going through these different types of loans. But before I go into the actual bridge loan and the permanent loan, I wanted to make another distinction, which is the differences between the two different types of actual debt. And that is the recourse and the non-recourse debt. 
because that's something that's a pro and a con of the different types of loans. So for recourse debt, that means that the lender can collect what is owed on top of collateral, which is the actual apartment community. So if you default a loan, property is going to foreclosure, the lender can take the property. And if you owe more than that, they can take more from you personally. Whereas non-recourse is when the lender cannot do that unless certain exceptions are triggered like gross negligence or fraud of some sort. So if that occurs, then they can come after your personal assets. But generally recourse, they can come after your assets above the collateral. Non-recourse, they can't unless certain exceptions are triggered. So that's important because Again, this is just very general. There's always exceptions to all these rules, but this is overall what you're going to see most commonly is there's two different types of loan, as Joe mentioned, the bridge loan, and then there's the permanent loan, the Freddie Fannie type of loan. For the bridge loan, it's going to be a shorter term loan with a potential to extend it. So it'll be anywhere from one to three years for the initial loan term, and then you can pay to extend it a year or two years. So it is possible if you have a hold period of five years to have a bridge loan the entire time. Generally, bridge loans are going to be interest only, but they're going to have a higher interest rate because they are shorter term. And one of the main reasons why you want to use a bridge loan is because you have the ability generally to include the renovation costs. So let's say, for example, you're doing a value-add deal and you need to spend $500,000 on renovations. And if you had to raise that extra $500,000, it's obviously going to affect your returns. But if you can include that in the actual financing, all of it in the financing in some cases, then that reduces the amount of money that you need to bring to the closing table than you would have if you had to actually pay for it up front. And there's also with the bridge, if you do not get it pre-funded, but you just have a commitment to fund and then you borrow after you show that you've done some work, then you're not borrowing at the beginning. You're not basically paying for money that you're not using. You only pay interest on money that you've actually used. Think of a personal loan versus a line of credit. Personal loan, you get it from a bank. Immediately, as soon as you sign on that loan, you're paying interest on that, right? Because the lender has loaned you money of X amount. Whereas a line of credit, okay, you sign on dotted line, but you don't start paying interest on it until actually you use it. And then when you do pay interest, you only pay interest on what you're actually using. Uh, yeah, that, that's huge. So if, if that's the type of, type of loan that you get, then you don't have to pay interest on the actual purchase price loan, but you want to pay interest on the money on top of that until you actually use it. Now that's a description of the bridge loan. The permanent loan is not necessarily the exact opposite, but the permanent loan or the Fannie Freddie is a longer term loan. So it's going to have a, an actual term of five or 10 years. As five, opposed, seven, 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah five, seven, or yeah. 10 years. And then it's going to be amortized over 20, 25, or 30 years, depending on the type of lender you use. So for the permanent loan, there is the potential for interest only still. So that's still something that you could possibly do. And you will get lower interest rates on this type of loan. And I forgot to mention this for the bridge loans. So I'll mention it now. For this Fannie Freddie loan, generally it's going to be that non-recourse, which means that they cannot come after personal assets above the collateral unless exceptions are triggered. And the bridge loan is typically full recourse, which means that they can. So that's something else that's different between the two. And there are certainly exceptions. All of our bridge loans are non-recourse. Yeah, All the bridge loans that we have. 
Exactly. Those are the two descriptions of each. So what are the pros and the cons of each of them? So of course, for the bridge loan, you've got the pro of the generally interest only and the ability to include those renovation costs in the loan. And as Joe mentioned, not having to pay interest on that until you use it. The drawback is that it's a little riskier because let's say, for example, you've got a two-year bridge loan and your plan is to refinance at the end of that or sell, I guess, maybe too, at the end of those two years. But what if you can't? What if you can't raise the rents to the degree you expected? What if there's unexpected maintenance issues and you to spend more money? What are you going to do? Because you have to get a new loan at this point. Whereas for permanent financing, you've got the advantage of the lower interest rate and the advantage of the set it and forget it. So you, you get the loan and you're going to have it, the same loan for the entire duration of the hold period and don't have to worry about. Now, of course, you can refinance if you want to, as long as there's not a repayment penalty, but you don't have to refinance. And I know and we actually just posted this blog post, if you're listening to it on Facebook yesterday, if you listened to it on Long Friday, two days ago, about the three immutable laws of real estate investing. And one of those three laws was don't get forced to sell. And I guess a hybrid of that would be don't get forced to refinance. Because in this case, if you have a bridge loan that ends and your projections are off and you don't have enough to refinance, enough equity to refinance, because again, remember, you're paying interest only, then that's a risk where you don't have that same risk for the permanent loan. Yeah. In that case, there's some serious flaws in underwriting and management. If you get to the end of your loan and you're not able to do a refinance or a supplemental loan or something, because you should never be at the end of the loan before you wait to do anything, number one. And number two, if you do get a bridge loan, the whole reason why you're getting a bridge loan is you want to maximize the returns prior to either selling or putting long-term financing on it. Think of what we're calling this loan, right? And point A is where you're at now. Point B is where stabilization is, where you want to go. And so the bridge loan takes you there. Therefore, you do a bridge loan when you have a property that is either severely distressed or kind of distressed or even has a major value add components to it that you need to do and you're able to go in, add that value and then exit out of it after you add that value and then put more longer term financing on it and compare that to if you initially put Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac financing on it, otherwise known as agency debt, then those prepayment penalties are higher and you probably will be locked out when you want to refinance shortly after you get the loan. So you don't have that flexibility. Bridge loans give you more flexibility, but they are riskier because you don't have as much equity in the deal initially. Now, certainly if your business plan works out, then you're building equity along the way because I assume you are adding value to the property through renovations or expense optimization or or something else. Yeah, absolutely. Based off of your company's experience buying your deals, what percentage of those were the bridge loan to permanent financing as opposed to what percentage of those were just straight up permanent financing from the get-go and the renovations, I guess, coming out of pocket or out of, you know, you raise that money for renovation. It's about 50-50 bridge loans to permanent financing right out of the gate. And with the permanent financing, what we do is rental loan. 
after we do the value add. And that acts as a, for all intents and purposes, it, it acts as a refinance if you had a bridge loan, because with a supplemental loan, then you're able to get money back out by putting more debt on the property because you have a higher valuation because you've added the value. So the question might be, well, why don't you just always do agency debt and then do a supplemental versus just a bridge loan initially? And the answer is, well, the property might not qualify for agency loan, or if it does, then you might need more equity out of pocket in order to qualify, and then the returns don't work. So there's a balancing act on what do you look at in terms of risk and reward, and then how do you mitigate the risk depending on whichever direction you take. That makes sense, because I'm wondering, if like, why don't you always just do bridge loan? Might as well, but the qualifying for the actual permanent financing is the big one, especially if you're buying a super distressed property that's 60% occupied, like they're not going to give you a loan on that property. So you're going to have to do something else. And we don't buy 60% occupied properties, but we might buy an 85% occupied property or 90% even. And that still might not be enough to qualify for a loan proceeds for Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, that we want to make the returns healthy enough but also mitigate the risk. Therefore, we might go bridge. And then also something to consider is even though interest rates, generally speaking, are lower for Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, it's possible to find very comparable interest rates from some bridge lenders if you have a good relationship with them, especially with interest rates increasing, where bridge lenders, you might find that they'll be very close to the interest rate that you'll get with. And then it almost becomes a no-brainer to do a bridge loan, get that refinance after year two, and then put some longer-term debt on it or or figure out what you want to do. Sell it after year two. After And I say year two because I'm assuming that's when the business plan will be fully executed with the value add. And I say that because primarily, at least with our company, it's interior renovations and we do it on unit turns and everyone for the most part, on a 12-month lease. Mm -hmm. So that allows us to cycle through all the renovations as well as have some period of time for stabilization afterwards. Exactly. All right, so the second aspect to this conversation about debt financing has to do with the loan guarantor or the person who's actually signing on the loan. Because if I right now find a 200-unit property in Tampa Bay, Florida, and I go to a lender and tell them I have this deal and it's just me, they're not going to give me a loan because there are certain requirements that the person who's actually signing on the loan needs to have. Now, they obviously, when they're doing the underwriting and, and qualifying the actual deal itself, they're looking at the property and how it's operating, but they still take the person into account that's signing on the loan. So the qualification the person needs, so either you or someone else needs in order to qualify for the loan, and they want, they need to have a net worth that is equal to the mortgage amount. So if I am getting a million dollar loan, I need to have a million dollar net worth. Post-closing the deal, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, not including the deal. And then you also need to have liquidity equal to nine months of debt service. So that means you need to have a net worth of the loan and you need to have liquidity of whatever nine months of the payments you're giving to the lender. Now that's just for money-wise, but they're also going to want someone who has experience actually doing what you're going to do. So they're going to qualify the individual who is either that same person or someone else needs to have 
experience in apartment syndications. Joe, do you know, is it kind of like they look at you and it's kind of a case-by-case basis or is it specifically you need to have completed this many deals or you needed to control this much or is it just you have to have done a similar deal in the past? It depends on who they is. So basically it depends on the lender. Okay. I've found that if you have successfully doing what you're about to do, then that will qualify you. And if you don't, then you need someone on your team who has that experience. Awesome. And if you're listening to this 20 years from now in 2030, these numbers might change. Nine months might change. So, <laughs> I think the percentage is just because you're right. It depends on the lender, what the liquidity and net worth is that they require. But 10%, 100%. Just think about that. 100% of net worth equal to the loan balance, 100%. So basically net worth equal to loan balance and 10% liquidity of the loan after closing. So not including the down payment, invest the down payment. And then after you close, you got 10% liquidity of whatever that loan balance is. You can also do the nine month thing. And again, these are just general rules of thumb. Your lender is going to be different. Might be plus or minus on either side of those. Exactly. So ideally, either you or the person you're going to bring on as a loan guarantor covers both of these because then you only have to pay one person as opposed to two different people or compensate two different people. In regards to actual compensation, of course, it depends on what type of loan it is. Specifically, it depends on if it's the recourse or the non-recourse because if it's recourse, the person signing the loan is exposed to more risk. So you're going to want to compensate them more. But the general range is 0.5 to 1% of the loan balance at closing is usually what the compensation is. So the person who meets these requirements will sign on the loan and at close, they will get a fee of let's say 1% for signing on the loan. Now, I know we've done shows on specifically on the loan guarantor in the past. And I know you've talked about how this is something that should be very attractive to people because all they're doing is not all they're doing is signing on the loan, but they're signing on the loan and they're getting 1% of the purchase price. As long as obviously all the risks are addressed, you've qualified the actual syndicator and the deal and the team. But uh, what are your thoughts on that, Joe? Yeah, you got to know the person really well to sign on their loan. I would be less concerned about gross negligence. I'd be more concerned about fraud. Think about the risk versus reward, though, from the loan guarantor's standpoint. They're risking million dollar loan balance. So million bucks, 1%, that's what, $10,000 to risk a million dollars. If I was in Vegas, I think I'd risk 10,000 to win a million. And I won't think I'd risk a million dollars to win 10,000. So all the risks should be taken away from it as much as possible. So I don't know if it's necessarily a no brainer. And I don't think you use those words, but I don't think it's a no brainer because I put myself in that position. I am in that position. If people were to reach out to me, hey, Joe, I want you to sign on the loan, non-recourse. I give you 1% at closing. I wouldn't do it unless I had a relationship with them. Because what could happen is one deal goes south and then you get blacklisted on Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and then you're not able to do loans for any of your deals. That's a big old risk. Yeah, that's a good disclaimer. So that kind of concludes the part two. We went over the different types of debt, the recourse versus non-recourse. 
we went over the two different types of loans, the bridge loan and the Fannie Freddie permanent loan. And we kind of went over the pros and cons of each and when you want to use them. And, and Joe mentioned how his business does it 50-50. And when they go the permanent loan route, they will usually get a supplemental loan after the fact. And then we also went through the loan guarantor, which is the person who's signing the loan and the qualifications they must meet in order to be qualified by the lender. And then we kind of had a little conversation about how if it's not you, then the person who does it needs to know you really well because of the risk reward we discussed. Is there anything else on the lending that you want to talk about, Joe, before we move on? Nope. Okay. Really quickly before we wrap up, we had a question submitted from a listener last week, and his name is Matt. And he said, hey, Joe, my name is Matt. <laughs> I'm from Texas, and I wanted to see what you thought about Des Moines, Iowa market. Would the large involvement of the insurance industry make it especially vulnerable during a recession? Will you repeat the question? Would the large involvement of the insurance industry make it especially vulnerable during a recession? Eager to hear your thoughts on it. Thanks. Well, depends on what that insurance company is heavily invested in and how they are diversified from a business standpoint. And ultimately, the short answer is, I don't know. (laughs) This person's asking about a particular city? Uh, Yeah, Des Moines. Des Moines. Okay. I don't think we pronounce the S with Des Moines. Probably not. You pronounce the S. I don't think you're supposed to pronounce that S. I'm not not 100% sure. I would look at all the industries in that city, in Des Moines. And I would determine how much of that is the insurance industry. And then if it's more than 25%, then I certainly would dig deeper and understand more about those companies and see how they did in 2008 and how they have done historically over the last 20, 30, 40 years. I imagine they've been around a while. That's my assumption. Might be incorrect, but that's my assumption. Because some insurance companies thrived during 2008 and some didn't do well, depending on how heavily invested they were in certain types of loans that went downward in 2008. So that's what I would do. Yep. So that's basically the job diversity factor in the market. And Matt, if you want to have a a strategy for evaluating the market as a whole, you can go to the blog and we have a blog called The Ultimate Guide to Selecting a Target Market. And we kind of go through all the different factors that we look at when we're evaluating a market. And that's the besteverblog.com. We have a category called what market? Market evaluation. Market evaluation. Pretty intuitive. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks for that question, Matt. Just to wrap up, make sure you guys join the Best Ever community on Facebook. Best Ever Girls. uh, (laughs) Bestevercommunity.com for your opportunity to be included in the weekly blog post we create. This week's question, which we posted yesterday and are seeing great engagement on, is which is more important for success as a real estate investor, hustle or knowledge? So what's more important, hustle or knowledge? What do you say? This is a tough question because it's one of those things where <laughs> you need both. If you're just the smartest guy in the world but are just super lazy, it's not really going to matter. But if you got a lot of hustle, I would probably say hustle. From personal experience, it's kind of how I got started. I didn't know anything. If I would have waited on the knowledge, then I probably would have never gotten started just based off my personality. So for me, it's, it's hustle for sure. Yeah, I think it's 100% hustle. Knowledge, you got to apply it. Hustle, you're applying it. And you're smart enough to know that you should hustle. 
Therefore, that leads me to believe as you hustle, you'll continue to learn from what you're doing. And it's hard to teach hustle, to teach knowledge. 100% hustle. Yeah. All right, so make sure you guys check that out and get involved in the conversation. I think we had over 20 or 30 comments on it so far. So well, sure. whoever said knowledge is wrong. <laughs> yeah, I briefly looked through it. It was 50-50. So I'll, I'll make sure I... 50% of the people are wrong. It's hustle. <laughs> we'll make sure that's in the blog post. <laughs> All right, guys. So before we end, make sure you guys go on iTunes to the, the, the podcast and subscribe and leave a review. It really helps us out when we get feedback. We um, got a good one today or we got someone else no, we're getting, po- we're, poking us. No pokes. We've only, oh, okay. we've only had one poke in our existence <laughs> of the podcast. We resolved it, as you said last week. Oh, look. This is a silent keyboard that I'm holding <laughs> up. It types silently. Let's hear it. So, Type a little bit. <laughs> uh-huh, here, I'm typing. Can you hear it? No. That's because it's silent. <laughs> so from now on, so interviews starting like I'm about 25 days out. So interviews starting about 25 days that you hear, you will not hear keys. So I believe the <laughs> listener's name was Eric. Is that Eric last week? I can't. Who, I can't who called? I, think, I so. think it was Eric. Yeah. So Eric and everyone else, we got a silent keyboard. Perfect. Well, this week we're back to a great review, five stars, titled Great Podcast for Real Estate Investors from KK377. And they said, Joe does a great job doing podcasts for real estate investors of all levels. The Best Ever Podcast gives a valuable knowledge to the real estate investors of all levels. So I guess he said the same thing twice. So yeah, advice for all different experience levels, which is one of my favorite parts about the podcast. Anyone can listen to it and get something. Yeah, me too. Because when I interview someone who's just starting out, I get inspired. I perhaps don't learn much, but I get inspired and reinforces inspiration. That's just as valuable as knowledge in some cases could be more valuable. And then people who are experienced, then I always learn something and that's valuable too. So great. Well, thank you everyone. Thank you, Theo. Enjoyed hanging out and talking about debt financing, not the sexiest topic, but a very important one. Best of listeners, really grateful that we spent some time with you and you spent some time with us. So thanks for listening and we'll talk to you tomorrow. You looking for a one-stop landlording software that helps you create listings, find and screen tenants, and accept rental payments while managing maintenance requests? Oh, by the way, it's zero cost to you. Go to tryrentler.com forward slash best ever. That's T-R-Y-R-E-N-T-L-E-R.com forward slash best ever. Looking to build a predictable and duplicatable real estate investing business? Do over 100 flips a year. Whether it's flipping or wholesaling, experience a difference with the ultimate real estate investing course now and also get a free strategy session with Dylan. He's been a guest on the podcast before. You can use the code JOE20 for 20% off. Everything you need to know in one course, go to www.theultimaterealestateinvestingcourse.com.